Praise God, you may be seated. He'll be using this mic too, Brother Nick. I'm going to go ahead and give you a test there. Hear me? Praise God. Well, bless you for being here tonight. Brother James is going to come and minister tonight. The Bible said the just shall live by faith. Gideon fleeced God. Now, I want to encourage you, don't never fleece God. He told Abraham, said, get up and leave your country, leave the idols. Abraham got up immediately and went. He's the father of faith. Abraham, I'm a, Gideon was in unbelief. The just shall live how? By faith. When God tells us to do something, then that we ought to immediately and move on it. I'm going to read you something from Luke 9, 29. Jesus took disciples up to the mountain to pray. And they saw him as he was praying. The appearance of his face changed. His clothing became as bright as flashings of lightning. Ken mentioned something in the Sunday school class this morning. We all ought to want to leave what behind? A legacy. We want to leave something behind. What is it? The Yosemite State National Park, is that the name of it? They have trees that grow 300 plus feet tall. Each tree produces 400,000 seeds per year. Only one seed out of that 400,000 falls into the ground and germinates and come up and produces a tree. God wants to tell us from what we see in the natural that what God wants us to be in this world. He wants us to be somebody that stands out in the world and make a difference. When we leave this world, we ought to want to make a difference. We ought to leave something behind. And so when God wants us to live by faith, he wants us to walk by faith. Brother Wellman, he's passed on. He was a missionary to Brazil. When God called him to go to Brazil, he went. Most missionaries goes in the foreign field has either got support or organizations supporting them. He went on faith in God. He got off the plane, and his son asked him, said, Daddy, where we are? He said, Son, I have no idea where we are and what we're going to do. All I know, God has called me to come here. He spent his life in Brazil. And what God intends for us to, to spend our life for God and could to have an amen and make a difference. God wants us to make a difference in this world. If that tree, God put that tree there to grow 300-something feet tall, as, as tall as a 30, excuse me, a 30-store skyscraper. 400,000 seeds per year. Only one falls to the ground and does what? Germinates and comes up. So let us be what God wants us to be while we're here on this earth and live by faith and tell all the good news of the good things that God has done for us. God bless you for being here. Brother James, would you come? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I, too, Brother Don, went to uh, Telford one time. One time, I done me in. Couldn't go no more. I told and Mike wanted me to go down at what, Ag Sag? I said, I ain't going down there. I done seen enough. I'll wait right here. He carried me some other places. And when them bolt doors had locked behind me, I remember one time, they carried us in there, and I could hear them locks blocking behind us. They carried us in a room and set us down and locked the door. Said, we'll be back with the person that you want to see. I said, Mike, it's the last time. 
I'm ever coming inside here. If they want to talk to me, they're going to have to come to that window. I'm not going in there no more. That's not my calling. But Mike Hooker had the calling for that. He would, had the calling. If anybody was called for that, he was called for it. So God bless you for being here tonight. Good afternoon. Thank you, Brother Bill. Uh, prison is a unusual, different place to, to speak in and, and even just to visit. Uh, I've heard many, many people tell me, man, there's something about when that metal door goes clank, I can't get out. And that's just in their mind. Prisons, <clears throat> they're wonderful places to preach in. I've preached in them here and in foreign countries. And uh, I admire the people that go. I love going myself. I hadn't been in a while. The, the guy that I was going with, he passed away, and so it kind of cut off my, my opening. But anyway, if you have an opportunity, uh, it's not for everybody. But prisons are a great place to, to minister to people. Uh, I, I'm going to title this with a question. And you won't understand the question until the end of it. And the question is this. Who is she? I touched on this a few weeks ago. Brother Bill and I both spoke one night. <clears throat> and we're going to speak about Rahab, uh, but more than just Rahab. But I prayed quite a bit trying to figure out, man, you know, I need to be on something different. But sometimes you just can't get away from something. And, and so I've got more tonight than I had that night. I touched on it a little bit, but I want to speak on Rahab tonight. Uh, and, and quite honestly, the some of the things that we see in life and that we see in the Scripture, it reminds me of a book that I read not long ago called The Insanity of God. Some of the things we see and are involved in just don't make sense. Some of the people that God's used just don't make sense. Let me read a Scripture. Sometime in 55 or 56 A.D., Paul penned these words in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 29. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stunning block, excuse me, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things or the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I thought that was kind of fitting for the story that we're going to speak on tonight. Are you hearing me? Am I loud enough? Okay. One my problem not holding this thing up good enough. <clears throat> In the third, in the third chapter of Joshua, Joshua recorded the story of the two spies and Rahab. And I know that God don't like embarrassing people, but for the sake of telling who God is and what He does through people, He's told things about people in the Bible that we're thankful He didn't say about us. And here they, they constantly call Rahab the prostitute. That, that's, that's who they call her. Sometimes they don't even call her by her name. But in chapter 2, 10, and 11, Rahab tells the spies and her, and her countrymen, tells about herself and her countrymen and their loss of hope. She was admitting they had already lost their battle with God's people. I want you to look at I did in reading this. I really got to looking at what was this woman's state of mind? Why was she in the position that she was in? The reason she was in the position that she was in was because she lived with her mom and dad and her brothers lived with her. And it doesn't tell us why they didn't support the family, but she was the sole support of the family. So she was in a circumstance circumstance that hopefully none of us will ever be in. But she was in a circumstance where she was a sole provider for five, at least five people. We don't know how many brothers she had. We don't know if the parents were disabled, if they were too old. We don't know if the boys were too young, or if they were disabled. All we know is, is Rahab was the one that brought the money in. In the day and time that she lived, what were the job opportunities? Well, there wasn't any. Either you were a wife, grandma, queen, or you were a hooker. There weren't no jobs. She had no place to go. And they, you know, you think about it, I thought about this, and I thought, well, no one had asked her hand in marriage. Why? Well, when they saw her, they saw at least four other mouths they had to take care of. So she wasn't exactly the prize choice. She come with a big bill. Because if you married her, you had to take care of the family. So she didn't have a lot of opportunities laying in front of her. And one of the things I thought about in this was when you read the story, you read about the two spies coming into town and they meet on the street. And I know where most minds go. I know when I read that, I thought, whoa. Of all people to run into, why that one? But it hit me today when I was reading over this again. No other woman in town would allow strange men in their home except a prostitute. No other woman in town could protect these men. And no men would do it. They were all terrified. They were looking for every opportunity how they were going to win this battle and already knowing they had lost the battle. 
know, their confidence was gone. What they had heard about God and His people, total destruction. Everywhere they went, there was nothing left alive. There was no way to beat these people. And even the water got out of their way. I mean, when you think about it, like, my goodness, there is no hope. Where do we go? There's no place to go. There's no place to run and hide. I thought, well, Rahab could run and hide. But I believe what I saw in the Scripture was her integrity would not let her leave her family. And the only thing, she couldn't take up the sword and fight these people. What was the only thing she could do? Stay with her family to the bitter end. We visit people in the hospital, you know. We go see the sick. Sometimes you go see the people that have been through all types of disasters. And sometimes we really don't say anything. We just show up. Just the fact that you're there is comforting to people. And that's all she could really do was just be comforting to her family. But when I saw that, I went, wow, what integrity. Because by yourself, you can run and hide. Wait till the battle's over, come back, live through the scraps that are left. But no, no, no. This tells us more about what kind of person she is. Even though for all my life, I guess, when I read this story and heard this, all I saw was prostitute, prostitute, prostitute. I never really studied her, never really read her, never really give her the consideration of why was she in that position. So we condemn people just because we hear stuff. She was condemned. If you read this, they all condemned her. They all tagged her. They all put her in a place away from them. Separate. Well, you understand why Joshua did. He's a leader. He can't afford to be associated with a lady with a title like that. With that kind of job description? No. No, he had to keep his standards up, right? Even when he sent the two spies back in, he says, you made a covenant with her. In other words, I got nothing to do this other than I'm honoring y'all's word. Another thing I was thinking about when I was reading this, the two men. They were young men, the word says. They weren't boys. Boys are easily influenced. Men of integrity are not. When these men went into town, regardless of who they met, they were on a mission. And when they met her in the street, they had a mission. Their mission was to find out the best way to take this fortress and the force of that military. That was their sole focus. Their sole focus was to win the battle. Their family and all of God's people depended on these two men doing their job right. They didn't go in there with fleshly desires. And they didn't participate in that. There's nothing in there that shows us that. It shows us that these men went in with integrity and came out with integrity. And what they show us about her was she's standing there in a desolate wasteland soon to be a wasteland of nothing. There is no hope for her, no place for her to turn her thoughts for relief. None. Nowhere. Literally, no hope at all. No one to even cry on their shoulder. 
no place to go. Can you think about it? No place to go. Death was the only thing they were waiting on. Then God had a divine appointment. He had a plan that she didn't know about. Check this out. God's leader, he didn't know either. God didn't tell Joshua what he was doing. God didn't tell Joshua why he was coming in to take that city. It was just another city on the list, another group of people to annihilate. You ever felt like your family was against you, your church was against you, the people at work were against you? It's like they all ganged up on you, and you just it's like, oh, man, does anybody here care? That's where she was at. Who cared? Nobody. Nobody. So, I mean, she's alone. She's like, I have responsibilities with nowhere to go but death. She had lost her integrity, lost her dignity to keep her family alive. All for what? Just to watch them die. Just like you, God had a plan for her. See, we don't always ask God, what is our plan? Sometimes we do. She didn't even know God. Why would she look to God? She didn't know God. Didn't know nothing about him. One thing she knew was God and his family was on their way, and they fixing to die. She didn't even pray. What was the use? Didn't belong to him. Little did she know that God had a plan. God made a divine appointment. There's, boy, there's a lot we can say about this divine appointment. With who? An undesirable. God sent two of his men of integrity to meet an undesirable woman by her reputation to help win that battle. Strange who God uses sometimes. Strange the way he does things sometimes. Past, way past our understanding. But you see, God saw something in her that no one saw. Rahab didn't see it in herself. She didn't see herself as anything, really. She just was existing and getting through life and trying to feed her family. I mean, her whole thoughts were, how can I feed my family today? A lot of responsibility for a woman in that day and time, way more than now. say this now. God has a plan for you. He's always had one. And circumstances make us think no. There's nothing for me. I'm finished. I'm not good enough. See, she could easily have thought, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented. I don't have any education. I'm a nobody. I'm the least of the least of the least. Yet God had his eye on her. And I love this thought when it, when it hit me. She's thinking God and his family is coming to destroy me and my family. But yet the whole time, he was on his way to save her. The very people that she thought was her enemy was her salvation. I'm 62. I've met a lot of people. Been in a lot of different kinds of jobs. Some of the people that I have met that I literally did not like became some of my best workers and some of my best friends. 
But when I first would meet them, I would think, oh, Lord, what trouble, what an enemy, what a backstabber. But then they would change before me. Some of the people we meet, they're not as bad as we think they are or that we heard that they were. See, just because she was in this position, and I'm going to say not by choice, she had a bad reputation. Well, no guy, would, no woman would want their guy to ever do anything with her, for her, around her because of her reputation. But inside the person who was stuck in a bad position was a great lady of God. Great enough that God saw his earthly lineage in her. He didn't see it in any of those people coming to get her, but he saw it in her. And the people we meet, we have no idea what their past are, unless we occasionally hear a rumor. And then we don't even know if that's true. Unless the Holy Ghost confirms something to you, you really don't know. There's always two sides to a story. We certainly don't know the plan that God has for the person you just met. We have no idea the strangers we meet, who they really are, and what's God called them to do. And maybe we're supposed to be a connection with them to help them or they help us. I heard a guy say we were like three people away from a millionaire. You don't know who you're going to meet. Is he going to bless you or some member of your family? strangers we meet we can't do what they did in this story see when God when God does something special he takes a lot of the ifs if I will say almost all the ifs out of things when she met these two spies and they you know she's not an ignorant woman it's obvious by the story you know she meets these two guys and I can just see her going wow I got two of God's family in my house as my guest. What's up with this? Maybe. Well, wait. Maybe I can make an arrangement with them and at least save me and my family. And she manages to do that. She keeps these guys safe. Strikes the deal. Hang a red cord out the window. When we come, we won't come in the house with the red cord, right? Can I tell you the end of the story? The red cord really didn't matter a whole lot. Because when the dust settled and everybody calmed down, there was one structure left standing. It was Rahab's home. There was no way they could miss Rahab's home. There was no way they could miss that little red cord hanging in the window up there flopping in the wind. God made it so apparent that he wanted to save Rahab that no one could make a mistake. Some of the things he sets up in front of us, we think, oh, I can see her going, okay, I, I hope they're in good standings with their chief. Oh, I hope he'll honor their agreement with me. Oh, my, what if, what if a couple of them young soldiers get loose and come in the house? What if they were off somewhere and didn't hear what was supposed to happen, how I'm supposed to be protected? Can you, can you see all the ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, doubt and unbelief? She didn't have the Bible to teach her. She didn't know nothing but doubt and unbelief. And I can see her being a nervous wreck when the war took on. It's at the door. It's all around the house. They're coming over her roof to get inside. But God had a plan. 
And when God's got a plan and we think things are like, oh, hell's breaking loose around us. Yeah, it is. But there was a hedge of protection around her house, around her and her family. And she was still in sin. She hadn't repented and become a Christian yet. See, that just blows people's minds. She wasn't a good person yet. She wasn't a leading member of the church yet. She was still out in the highways and the byways. There's a scripture we jump over and we forget about. God said, go into the highways and the byways and get them. When he said, go into the highways and the byways, he was talking about not the perfect people, but the people that needed Jesus. Not the ones that was living right. We'll get them all. Don't, don't, don't worry about the dirty. Don't worry about that they're poor. We'll teach them and train them. And some will always be poor. Some are, they've accepted poverty. And they'll always be there. Jesus told us that. You will always have the poor. So there's some we try to help, and they'll never come up. But some will. You see, I spent five years helping remodel a church in Tyler. They're now building a new sanctuary. And when I met, this is for Leon Bachelor, and I just went to his mother and family, and I went to his mother-in-law's funeral Saturday. And when Lee and I, Leon and I were talking about help, who was going to help me do this, I looked at him and I said, well, Leon, I said, you got a couple of knothead boys hanging around here, at least two or three that, that can't keep jobs. He goes, oh, God, I sure do. I said, sink your money in your own people. It's cheaper. Bring them to me. If they ain't got a smart mouth, I'll work them. I'll teach them something about Jesus along the way. I had to fire one of them, but, you know, we'll, we'll get this thing done. He said, really? And I said, yeah, bring them on. First kid he brought in, I'd seen him. Pam and I used to go to their camp meetings, and I'd seen this kid always sit in the front. Had a tattoo of a fly right here. Always wore his hat crooked, wore a hat in church. I was raised that you don't do that. Other than that, he dressed pretty neat. That was the first kid Leon brought in. I thought, oh, my God, I wish I'd have kept my mouth shut. I'll kill this kid before it's over with. No, 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 no. Now, of the kids I worked with there, he became my favorite. You see, that kid didn't get to... He wasn't raised like me. He didn't have what I had. He didn't have a daddy. Never knew his daddy. He was raised by a mama that wasn't in church. See, he came from the highways and the byways. Undesirable. Costing the church money. In trouble with the law. One day we were sitting at a lady's house having lunch. We'd been working for her. This was a job outside the church. <coughs> And he looks at me and he says, Brother James, I bet you didn't know that I didn't know you weren't supposed to wear a hat at the table. And I said, no, I didn't know that you didn't know that we weren't supposed to wear a hat at the table. How do you know now? I'm watching. See, this was a kid that I thought had no manners, no respect. He only was looking to get through the day. And undesirable. One that had a reputation like the old gal we're talking about tonight. See, I didn't even really want to help this kid. I didn't really like him. 
but now I love him. And every time I run into Leon, I got to ask about him. Two of, there was two guys that helped me during that. Let me tell you the end result of those two men who were in trouble with the law and couldn't keep a job. They were costing people in the church money constantly. The end of that story is, is those two undesirables became workers in the church. One was in the video booth, the other was in the audio booth. They both had jobs as electricians, and they both were tithers. And they both came to church and worked on Saturdays and weekends to do whatever needed to be done in the church. The undesirables, like Rahab. Rahab was an undesirable. She didn't look fit or good enough. Her reputation was bad. Situation. This young man with a fly on his neck, he was in that situation. He wasn't in the situation I was in. I was raised in a home that took me to church. I was on drugs. I was drugged to church every Sunday. Kids don't have that. People in the highways and byways didn't have that. But God's got a plan for them. You see, God had a wonderful plan for Rahab. He didn't tell her. You see, I thought about Rahab. See, when the dust settled and Joshua's sitting on his big stallion and he's, he's looking over what's left of the city, all the rubble in one house. Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that must be Rahab's house. Boys, go get her. So they went and got her. And then Joshua said this. Put her outside the camp. See, when I read this story a month or so ago, that was what stuck in my mind I couldn't get rid of. Put her outside the camp. Now the woman risked her life to save God's family. If it wasn't for her, the two spies would have died. Put her outside the camp. How many people have we put outside the camp that come to our jobs, come to our church, Mary and our families. We put them outside the camp. Oh, they just need to be there for a season. We want to keep an eye on them. Really? But they repented and got saved seven, eight years ago before they came here. Why are we going to put them outside the camp and watch them? Why? Who made you the authority to decide to put somebody outside the camp? See, I worked for Cooper Tire and Rubber for almost two years. I think I was 18 when I worked for him. The day that I hired in, there was a Vietnamese man sitting there, and his name was Duke. I filled out my application, 30, 40 minutes, whatever, and I'm out. Duke was sitting there with the application in front of him and a translation book and a spare piece of paper on the side. And Duke would read the application, Look in the book. Write that word down. He would build a sentence and an answer by looking at the two. I found out it took him all day to fill out that application. Now, guess where he went when they hired him? I built tires. 
Duke's on the next machine. Good person. Spoke English pretty good. We got along, you know, we, we got along well. That's production. The more tires you build, the more money you make. You get paid a certain amount for each tire, right? And if your machine broke, they put you what they call downtime. If you was only down 15 minutes, you got paid a certain amount of money for that 15 minutes. But you had to go find your foreman to sign down and sign back in when the mechanic got through. You get in the picture, you know what the foreman did to do? He was a Vietnamese. Nice guy, good-looking guy. He was a Vietnamese. When his machine broke, they didn't sign him down. I watched that for a week, and I couldn't stand it. When his machine went down, I went and got him. And I almost called the foreman's name. But I went to that foreman, I said, Duke, machine broke. He said, what's that to you? I said, you're cheating me. He said, so? I said, you're not going to cheat him as long as I'm around him. See, that foreman put him outside the camp. He had no right to do that. But that's where he put Duke. He wasn't good enough. For whatever he had against him, he was wrong. 100% wrong. And I took care of Duke until that foreman broke down to me one day and he said, you'd build more tires if you was not taking care of him. I said, you're finally getting the point because I'm going to take care of him until you do him right. He said, from now on, I will do him right. And I said, I have an eye on him and you. And you will do him right. He said, I will. And he did. He kept his word. But he placed Duke outside the camp. He wasn't good enough to get paid when his machine broke. See what I'm talking about? How people treat somebody? Duke didn't do anything wrong. That was one of the hardest working men I ever met. Went to his home, got invited. Uh, my whole car pool, we went there and they fed us. His family just loved on us because we were nice to do. They didn't get treated nice everywhere they went. Did he have a right to be here? In my mind, he did. You see, he didn't come over here to live on my tax dollars. He come over here to make money. He come over here for a better life. And I was all behind that. I'm not behind the, the goofballs that live on our tax dollars and won't work. No, I'm not for that. So when I read this story and I read outside the camp, it broke my heart because I see too many people that put people outside the camp. See, I understand clicks. Jesus had a click. He had a click in the click and two clicks in the click. Would he have 84 and 12 and then three? There's some you're close to and there's some you're pretty close to. And then there's some you confess your sins to because you're real close. Well, I understand the clicks, but I don't understand why we put people out here and we hold them there and we don't let them in. Are we scared of them? Seeing foreign countries, when I, one of the things that makes me popular is, is I'll train you how to wire a building. I'll train you how to build rafters. They don't do that in foreign countries. They keep them pushed outside. And they won't, a craftsman won't teach another one. And when I go and I teach and train, I get real welcome. I get begged to come back. Because I'll do what other people aren't doing. 
I don't keep them outside. We're equal, are we not? Did not God might say that He created created all men equal? Then we should help one another. We should bless one another, and we should not hold people outside the camp. That was the whole thing of this story. That's what that's what intrigued me about this and made me just start researching and reading and trying to find out why was Rahab there? Why was Rahab in this position? Why? Why and why was she picked? Why did God choose her? I don't know. God didn't say why he chose her and he didn't have to ask me. God chooses to use who he wants to. I think I've told this here before. <clears throat> Keith and Gina was with us and they may remember the lady's name. But we went to a house, Naples or somewhere over in Marietta or somewhere over in there and, and went, went to a house to just prayer meeting. And I hadn't been at Calvary very long. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, that lady's by a diabetic. And I said, yeah, probably is. She's a big gal. I didn't, I didn't mean that in disrespect. I said, yeah, probably is. Tell her this. She was basically standing on the Word. When all that was over, she got healed, by the way. She'd been a diabetic for 50 years and God healed her. Not through anybody laying hands on her. She was by herself in her kitchen when it happened. But I asked God after that, I said, why don't you use me? Ignorant not knowing anything about the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to learn some stuff, you know, and I might have messed up. And why would you use me when you had Keith and Gina was there? And, and I don't remember, there were six or eight of us, and all of them had been walking in the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm, why me? You're going to love the answer I got. But I'm God. Can't I use who I want to? Yes, yes, I've never asked him again why he used me for anything. I, I, I fit some of that story, and I wonder, why me? Why not me? Why not, Don? Why, why not you get healed? Why not? What's to exclude you? God didn't put you outside the camp. I'm not going to heal Don. He did heal you. He drew you in. And he's anointed you to pray for others. I knew that. I didn't know that until last week or so. In Galatians 1 and 10, it says, Don't live for the approval of others. 2 and 20 says, You are not defined by your past. 3 and 27 says, Your worth is in Christ, not your job or your education. 4 and 7 says, You are no longer a slave. You are a child of God. 5 and 25 says, Don't be led by feelings and emotions, but by the Holy Spirit. 6 and 9 says, don't grow weary in well-doing. When the time is right, you will reap your harvest. I think I've got five minutes. So we're not going to keep people outside the camp. You know, and I'm so blessed to know people that act like Jesus and don't keep people outside the camp. I have met some that do. And I pondered on whether to say this or not. There are people who have been in church a long, long time and think they're righteous enough and perfect enough to go to the sea of forgetfulness and try to dig up a sin from someone's past and throw it before you. They became the sinner 
and the sinner became the saint. I can relate to that. I know well. I was I was once beer drinker doing the dance halls and all of that. At 25, I changed all that. I didn't go back. I've not failed. I've not fell down. I've not gone back. I changed it. We can change for the better. And once we've changed, we have something that Rahab didn't have. We have the Word of God to stand on. David had to build himself up because there was no one there to do that. And often we find ourselves in places where we have no one to lift us up or to build us up. And as you know, some of you have heard me preach on Nehemiah. He's, he's my guy. I can read him and I'm up. I'm up for the next half. I can read him and think, oh my God, if he can do that. He ain't no better than I am, I can do it. God loves me just as much as he loved Nehemiah. He can give me all that he gave him and more. You see, but we let some of those who love to tear down and destroy make us think, oh, you probably ought to use so-and-so. I'm really not good enough. But yes, you are. Yes, I am. Do I deserve it? No. And do you know? But through Christ we do. Through Christ, we're mighty men and women, honorable, full of integrity, and full of power. And God has uses, plans. He wants us to do things. One of my scriptures that was the whole chapter. And I'm going to read it the way I believe the Lord wants us to read it. I'm reading from the NIV, and I know some people don't like that, but I found out that the NIV was actually written from an older set of scrolls than King James was. They did use a few less words to say the same thing. Now, there's newer NIVs out that, that may not come up to this one. So I'm going to read Psalms 91 from the NIV. And I'm going to read it the way I believe God intended for you and I to read this scripture. And I'm going to close with this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me with His feathers, and under His wings I will find refuge. His faithfulness will be my shield and rampart. I will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at my side. Ten thousand may fall at my right hand, but it will not come near me. I will only observe with my eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If I make the Most High my dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall me. No disaster will come near my tent. For he will command his angels concerning me to guard me in all my ways. They will lift me up with their hands so that I will not strike my foot against the stone. I will tread upon the lion and the cobra. I will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and deliver him and honor him with long life will I sanctify him and show him my salvation did he not 
do that for Rahab. And she didn't even know that scripture. He protected her. It's amazing what God does. Let me pray for you. Father God, we give you praise and glory. You're mighty and awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak on your word. And I pray Satan not steal the word from those that needed to hear it, Lord. There would be an encouragement. I pray safety, protection, prosperity, good health, and safe travel. In Jesus' name. Y'all be blessed. Brother Bill, did you want to say a word? Or two? Or three? Okay, we know it.